Hey everyone. As you know, I'm a huge fan of living a healthy lifestyle, including taking the right supplements. Collagen is one of my favorite supplements. It is the most abundant protein in the human body. As we grow older, we break it down faster than we can replace it. This loss affects our skin, nails, hair, muscles, joints, and tendons, bones, and gut, making us look and feel old. Totem Voss is a wellness company that created a collagen chew for a real-life person, the 78-year-old mother of the founder. As a result, the quality is unrivaled. Totem Voss chews contain equal part deep-sea Icelandic cod, domestic grass-fed beef, and organic chicken bone broth, along with companion ingredients such as vitamin C for full collagen synthesis. These varied sources address a greater range of collagen needs within the body. Their customers are reporting results with such problems as rosacea, osteoarthritis, osteoporosis, degenerative disc disease, as well as improved hair, skin, and nails. Practitioners are finding the juice to be an effective tool in restoring gut health. You can find Totem Voss, that's T-O-T-U-M-V-O-S, at getchews.com. That's getchews.com. Use code DRDIVA, that's D-R-D-I-V-A, for an additional 10% off your first order. After usually years and years and years riding on this higher cortisol and stress response, the body says this is not good. We will keep the cortisol low and we'll just deal with the stress by dealing with the adrenaline. The adrenals will still give us a spike of cortisol and unfortunately it's at the incorrect times. So we get that spike in the evening and we're so exhausted and we just want to go to sleep but the body says don't go to sleep, it's not safe. And then, of course, we're again more tired because we're not sleeping and, and it becomes this perpetuating cycle, unfortunately, and that, that becomes a problem as well. Hello, this is Dr. Deva Nagula. Welcome to From Doctor to Patient, where our goal is to bring you topics of discussion that will educate you on the various healing modalities to help balance the mind, body, and spirit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From Doctor to Patient. Today, I am pleased to have Dr. Damiana Korka. She is a doctor of acupuncture and Chinese medicine. She has obtained her bachelor's in health sciences and master's in oriental medicine from East West College of Natural Medicine in Florida and her doctorate from Pacific College of Health and Science in California. She's also certified functional medicine practitioner through the Institute for Functional Medicine. Dr. Damiana has been in practice for more than 10 years in the specialty in sleep disorders. She's been teaching a specialty topic class on sleep since 2015 at Southwest Acupuncture College in Boulder, Colorado. Dr. Damiana's practice is devoted to helping patients with sleep issues and teaching people how to prevent insomnia from developing in the first place. Her book, to be published in spring of 2021, presents the five insomniac types and discusses a functional medical approach for addressing the root causes of insomnia. Dr. Damiana is originally from Romania and now lives in Boulder, Colorado. Good afternoon, Dr. Damiana. How are you today? I am great. Thank you for having me here today. Yeah, thank you for being here today. You know, sleep is something that holds a dear place within my heart as I've always had issues with it since I was a young child. But how did you get into a specialization into sleep disorders? Like, was it issues that you've had yourself or family or what triggered your, your desire to be a specialist in this field? 
fortunately, it was not my own issues. I have had a little bit of insomnia just to get a taste for it, um, to be a little extra compassionate for my patients. But really, it was at the beginning of my practice when I have just noticed how many of my patients have insomnia either as a primary uh, complaint or, or most of them actually was a secondary complaint. And I remember my very, very, very first patient um, um, in practice, I was in Tennessee and she had, I think, fibromyalgia. And I remember thinking, we just got to get her to sleep and all will be well from there. And it was true. As long as she slept, her pain was better and she was feeling a lot better. And so I'll never forget that. And then a couple of years into my practice, I realized how many people struggled with sleep. And so it was a gradual process. It became a little more and a little more. And eventually I thought, oh, wow, I, I'm really enjoying this. So let me just really focus on this because there's so many people that um, are in need. Yeah. And it's very interesting because in my previous life, I was an interventional pain manager specialist. So I saw a ton of people who had sleep issues, people that were in pain, people such as what you described, uh, fibromyalgia patients. That was a lot of people that I saw in my practice. And it's interesting because if you have pain, it's usually secondary to obviously there's primary cause of pain, but secondarily, a lot of sleep dysfunction is associated with people who have pain disorders. And if you fix their sleep, their pain will improve, specifically in conditions such as chronic fatigue syndrome or fibromyalgia. And I found that you know if I'd fix their sleep, it was great. But the problem was is that at that time, I was very much into the doctrine of Western medicine. And so I was giving a lot of people prescription medications for sleep, such as Ambien. And, and now it's, it's one of the medications that I refuse to place anybody on because it has some correlation with Alzheimer's disease and I don't want to use that medicine. There's so many other ways to treat sleep disorders. I mean, we're talking a tons and obviously you have a book that's coming out that's going to talk about that. But you talk about five insomniac types. Can you describe those five categories? Sure, I would love to describe those five categories. So they're based on my clinical practice um, and I used some names um, so people relate to them. So the anxious type is very common and that type will show up with trouble falling asleep in the evening. People typically feel quite wide awake. And they are anxious and sometimes they read a book and that helps. But as soon as they put the book down, again, they can't fall asleep. And typically those people will fall asleep within an hour or two after the desired time, regardless if they take something or not. And that same anxious type will also show up with waking up early in the morning, like an hour or two before. And they're not wide awake. They're just kind of in and out of sleep. My patients describe it as I wake up too early and I can't go back to sleep. But then when I ask them, they say, well, I do those off, but it doesn't feel like good sleep. And that the root cause falls into the same category, which generally has to do with just imbalanced nervous system, but um, it can also have as the root cause sleep apnea. It can also have as the root cause um, some blood sugar imbalances, but typically it's more related to the nervous system. The second type is the overthinking type. Um, and that will show up with people waking up in the middle of the night, typically around 1 a.m., 1 to 3 a.m. And they usually go back to sleep after an hour or two, but they're wide awake and they start thinking um, and worrying and just getting stuck on thoughts um, and such. And then the second type that will show up within that same category of overthinking is trouble falling asleep, but it's different than the anxious type. It's more 
they're just um, they don't they can't read. They're not focused. They they doze off. They come out, and they a, a song may get stuck in their head or something somebody said. It's just the mind. It's just kind of gets stuck on things. You know, you remember you said something today to someone, and then you're like, oh my gosh. What did they think about me? And it's just like half an hour later, you're still thinking about that that thought. And that is rooted the way I see it in digestion issues. Um, and I love how in Chinese medicine, we think of digesting not only uh, food, but digesting thoughts. So ruminating and kind of regurgitating thoughts and such. So, And, and we understand in, in, in Western medicine how, for example, serotonin, 90% of it is produced in the gut and serotonin has so much to do with sleep. So that's the second type. And then um, the third type is the overtaxed type. And that's the typical American culture, working a lot, pushing ourselves really hard, and then waking up early in the morning, usually by an hour, two hours. And those people typically don't go back to sleep, if it's, especially if it's like 4 a.m. And, and you want to go back to sleep until 5.30 or 6, it's, it's like, forget it. They're wide awake and they're wired and they start thinking about all kinds of things. And that's very common as well. And then the last two types, kind of, they could include the first three types, but they could be in their own. And, and so they are the overburdened types. It usually has to do with some kind of either chemical overburden, like pesticides, or it could be heavy metals, or it could be mold exposure that leads to a lot of inflammation. It's almost like there is some kind of uh, external, even though it's not external, but something that keeps picking at you and keeps aggravating the nervous system and um, and such. And even sleep apnea could fit into that category. And those people can wake up all night long. And they sometimes just say it up front. I feel as if something is keeping me up or I feel as if something it's people walk in and they say, I feel like I'm being poisoned. I, I even hear that sometimes. And, and they say, well, that's odd. But I'm like, that could be true. Maybe you have mold in your house that you're not aware of or such. And then the last type is the over, it's the really the depleted type. And that shows up, it's kind of the insomnia that shows up in elderly, typically. So I see it more in people over 50s and 60s. And it almost feels as if they just don't have enough of what it takes to sleep being just really depleted hormones, really depleted neurotransmitters, even just just the lack of all necessary things to sleep well. And it could come as a next step from the other types, or it could be aging. And so could show up in many different body systems and mm -hmm. such. So now there's a lot of categories that somewhat overlap. So can a person uh, fit into multiple categories? They do, but they typically have one that's primary. As we dig in and really look at it, it becomes more and more clear, really, this is the primary. Okay. What I do see, it's people over the years changing from one to another. The insomnia started as the anxious type. It ends up being the overthinking type. Let's say it's a woman that hits menopause or perimenopause. It will switch a little bit. Or what I have seen too, it's like they get on a medication that they've been taking for 10 years. And I asked them, how was the insomnia before? And they explain it to me. And then they realize, oh, it's different now, actually. So may, they may have actually two types because the first type wasn't addressed to begin with. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the things that you're talking about in your categories, it seems like cortisol has an effect on where a person fits into these categories. Can you talk about how cortisol affects sleep? Yeah, definitely. I mean, cortisol is really overarching 
within all of them um, because it is ultimately, it's the stress response that's affected in the body. The body and the mind and the spirit doesn't feel safe to completely let go and go to sleep. Um, and it could be because of emotional stress. It could be because of a chronic infection in the gut that we are sort of aware that there is something going on with our gut, but it's not as severe as going to ER because it's that severe, right? So it could be lingering for 10, 20 years and, and we don't know, maybe just mild cramps here and there or a little bit of constipation. Um, and even like the blood sugar um, connection to cortisol, um, it's so prevalent and I see this more and more in healthy people um, that, you know, you look at them and you don't think that they have a blood sugar imbalance, but then upon testing, we see how it's, it's, it's going in that direction. And people, when they have a blood sugar drop, they feel anxious and then it gets confused in their, in their head. Is it, I'm anxious because I'm worrying about things that I don't think like, oh yeah, I skipped a meal or I just had a breakfast that was full of sugar, didn't give myself protein in the morning and such. Um, so, or for example, if somebody has sleep apnea, they're not aware, the Breathing is interrupted all night, and then of course they'll have a spike of cortisol at some point because it's a protective mechanism. No matter how you look at it, the body is doing its best, and so um, it's okay to have those spikes of cortisol. But when it becomes chronic, um, it is a problem. And one of the major problems that happens with cortisol that is produced by the adrenal glands in response to stress is that when it becomes chronic and because it's related to this blood sugar, having higher blood sugar in the body is damaging to the body and to the organs, just as it is to have low blood sugar that feels life-threatening. So eventually, after usually years and years and years, riding on this higher cortisol and stress response, the body says, this is not good. We will keep the cortisol low and we'll just deal with the stress by dealing with the adrenaline, which is also produced by the adrenal glands and it works with the nervous system and such. So it goes into that concept that we've heard of adrenal fatigue. And then we're tired all the time, but the adrenals will still give us a spike of cortisol. And unfortunately, it's at the incorrect times or not ideal times. Like one of the things that happen, it gives a spike in the evening because the body says, oh, you're about to go to sleep, but I feel like danger is lurking, whatever that is. It, it's not a lion that's coming at us anymore. So we get that spike in the evening and we're so exhausted and we just want to go to sleep, but the body says, don't go to sleep. It's not safe. And then of course, we're again more tired because we're not sleeping and, and it becomes this perpetuating cycle, unfortunately, and that, that becomes a problem as well. Mm-hmm. And you were alluding to earlier about how blood sugar can cause uh, issues and, and the fluctuations in blood sugar can cause issues with sleep. So really, it's if you're hypoglycemic or hyperglycemic, it can both cause issues for sleeping, right? Exactly. It's interesting because when we are, when people are, are talking about time-restricted feeding or fasting, that can actually impair our sleep. Exactly. So I'm so, um, I write in my book about this because I love intermittent fasting, but, but not so much when somebody is in like an acute or, or they've had chronic insomnia and 
the lack of sleep is primary. And in those moments, I tell them it's better to give the body proper constant nutrition that includes a good amount of protein to keep those blood sugar levels stable and especially not to skip breakfast. Um, giving that um, protein in the morning for breakfast um, and fat, of course, and some carbs and such, and having that light exposure in the morning and also moving a little bit. It's so soothing to the nervous system because it can reliably have some, some kind of nutrition in the morning and say, okay, I guess this is the start of the day. Let's, let's get everything going. And then if you have that lunch and then dinner, and then everything can calm down in the evening and, and such. So intermittent fasting definitely has its place, but not quite when you're in that acute stage, because I believe um, we need steady amount of glucose and such. And when, when that doesn't happen, because we've had a blood sugar imbalance for a long time, um, if you don't have steady nutrition throughout the day, then at night, the, the stores will be depleted and the brain needs that steady amount of energy um, from glucose. And then it will sound, it will, the blood sugar will drop and then the cortisol will go high because it says, wake up, wake up, we don't have enough sugar. And then you'll wake up and, and some people, it could be as extreme as like having palpitations in the middle of the night. Um, but most people don't experience quite that. Um, but again, it's a protective mechanism to wake up. Um, and so we want to heal that part first. And then intermittent fasting could be a part of healing, actually, and healing the blood sugar imbalance, but not quite at the beginning. That's my experience since I only, I see a lot of people with um, insomnia in my practice. So ideally, if a person is doing 12 to 16 hour intermittent fasting, where they fast for 16 hours and they, and they consume calories for eight hours, how would you advise them, you know, especially if they're starting out and they're making some gains and where their, their primary source of fuel is ketones, but then they're starting to face issues with sleep. You know, they're making some gains, they're in ketosis, they're losing weight, they're feeling better, they're sharper, but then all of a sudden sleep issues occur. So would you start to have them eat a little bit later in the night? Or if, you know, if they're fasting, say 6 p.m. is their last meal, and 10 a.m. would be their first meal. How would you advise that person? Because if they're going, you know, 16 hours and a lot of that chunk is during the night, then obviously this is the case where their brain could be deprived of glucose. But if their body is keto adapted, wouldn't that make a difference and, and prevent them from requiring glucose? It is so. It, it Every person is different. So there is not a hard rule about this. I feel like in general, people do better with... Um, like a 13 hour fast rather than 16 in those cases. Um, and there really benefits like shifting that from 11, 12 hours to 13. And from what I understand from 13 to 16, it's not like a huge gap anymore. So like I encourage my patients to stay at the 13 hour of fasting and most people do better that way. However, we're all built genetically different, like there is the COMT gene that affects our neurotransmitters and such. And some people, depend if they have a fast or slow COMT, what happens, some people will do better with some carbs in the evening rather than more protein because the tryptophan also being more bioavailable in carbs rather than protein, even though it's higher in protein, 
and such. So that's just another aspect to throw in white. So it's not so black and white is not only about the sugar. Mm -hmm. So it just takes, I, what with most people, again, is trial and error. Again, 13 hours seems to be a better place to kind of position yourself and see if that works. Eating the breakfast sometimes works better for people um, and then leaving that gap in the evening. But for some people that doesn't work well, as you said, it has to be a little bit later in the evening. Mm -hmm. So they don't have that low uh, glucose in Crush. the middle of the night. Yeah. So it's interesting because for example, you know, a lot of people track their sleep and, you know, a lot of times people discover that if they eat close, like within three hours close to bedtime, it actually impairs their sleep. Right. So I guess if you're trying to experiment to see whether or not some kind of carbohydrates is useful, you really don't need to eat a huge meal before going to sleep to understand if carbohydrates will help your sleep and help the glucose levels in the middle of the night. You can just eat some sort of a snack that's small enough that doesn't impair the ability of sleeping, but something significant where the carbohydrates that you're talking about has bioavailable tryptophan, which should be able to prevent the crash and the cortisol spike in the middle of the night if they're waking up in the middle of the night. Exactly. And I think one of the most important things for blood sugar imbalances is always, 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 even if it's a snack, to have a complete meal that includes all the three macronutrients. So for people that just want a smaller meal, I still say perhaps have a little bit of collagen powder along with it and a little bit of fat like ghee um, and such. And I know I just said that we want to keep the protein low, but still have some protein in there. And also, we're so afraid of root vegetables when there is blood sugar imbalances because they can be higher um, in blood sugar. But actually, if it's combined with fat and it's small amount, you know, like sweet potatoes and um, and such, and some of the root vegetables, it can be really beneficial and it can replenish those glycogen stores so so it's more stable um, and everyone is different you know some people really don't have a blood sugar that's such a big problem and some do so it takes some error some trial and error and also working with a practitioner to see like how much can I have of certain foods and mm -hmm. understanding the glycemic index and load and also just do a simple thing such as purchasing one of those blood glucose monitors and testing yourself at home and seeing what happens, you know, within half an hour of waking up in the morning, it should be between 70 and 90. And then um, testing after breakfast and after dinner and seeing, does it come under 120 within two hours? So uh, we want to test at the two hour mark and such. Mm -hmm. So information is power and information that we can gather every day rather than waiting for another test at the doctor's office, which, which you should do because it's, it gives us more information, you know, every so many months. Um, it's also just really beneficial and important. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's really uh, good information. And what it also kind of leads me to the question is that what kind of treatments do you advocate for people that have sleep disorders. And I know that according to your categories, there's going to be probably a different type of treatment specific per each category that a person falls in. So in a general sense, I know we can go into a lot of detail, but what kind of treatments do you advocate from a functional medicine perspective who has practiced oriental medicine? Right. So, I mean, with most of my patients, if they're local, I do acupuncture because that's part of um, helping the nervous system regulate and such, but then more the functional medicine piece, um, as I mentioned before, 
the overarching piece is dysregulated nervous system. So we need to look at that. So always looking at cortisol and doing a saliva test um, that tested throughout the day, not only a blood test, the saliva test um, helps to give us an idea what happens throughout the day and night because we're looking for that healthy curve. You know, the, the cortisol is supposed to spike up in the morning as soon as you wake up. And then within half an hour, it should go even higher, like 50% or even more. Um, and that's what we call the cortisol, cortisol awakening response. If it goes way too high, that's a sign that your nervous system is stressed. If it's way too low, that means likely your nervous system has been stressed for way too long. So neither is good. You know, those, you can kind of know what's happening if you wake up in the morning and you're just like so wired, you're going from zero to a hundred within minutes. Obviously that's, that's not good. Or also just not having enough energy to get out of bed and, and, you know, only feeling awake after an hour or two. So neither is good. We just want to have waking up and feeling good and, and such. So we test that um, and we find out what's happening. And then from there on, um, there are supplements and herbs that can help with that, depending on what happening, what's happening. So again, it should go high, then it starts going down gradually throughout the day. Um, we get a dip a little bit around one, two o'clock after lunch usually. And there is a little, even a tiny bit of melatonin being produced. And also our core temperature goes down a little bit. So we naturally feel sleepy. We're built to take siestas and take a nap. And that's one of the biggest things that I use in my practice to encourage this natural rhythm and calming down the nervous system and telling the body that it's safe to calm down. So taking a little bit of a nap or a rest, as I call it, that they don't have to doze off. It's done at the right time for the right amount of time. It can help people sleep better at night. Mm. Many different types of insomnia. And then the cortisol keeps going. You know, you might have a little bit of a, you know, still good, good amount in the evening and then um, in the evening, it should really drop. And we have some steady amount at night, but um, it shouldn't spike up in the middle of the night or too early in the morning um, such. So from there on, then I need to know why. Of course, we all have a lot of um, emotional stress and whatever is happening in our lives, you know, that never really goes away. There is always something, right? But what's, if there is something beyond that, what, what is there? So... I just have to identify what else is going on. Like, do they have digestive issues? Is it a woman that likely hormonal issues are at the root, uh, which for a lot of women, in their 30s, 40s, 50s, that's a major, major role. More often than not, hormones are involved. So I need to look at that. And the little symptoms that they have that maybe they're not as important for them can clue us in what else is going on. And sometimes people have a lot of symptoms, so it's easier to say, okay, we need to do a stool test and see what's happening in your gut, or we should really do hormone testing or whatever it is. Um, and then again, the underlying sleep apnea, it's always kept in my mind because we've been taught that, oh, if you're overweight and you snore, you should get tested. Um, but I live in a very kind of healthy place, Boulder, Colorado, people are very fit. And I would say 90% of the patients that end up having um, sleep apnea, they don't show that typical picture that we think of. And so if we don't know that there is sleep apnea and we keep trying all the other things, we're just fighting against this invisible enemy in a sense. 
Um, so I always watch for that and always refer to a medical doctor for a sleep study. Um, and we can work with that. We can try to find out what the good cause of that is, which many times it has to do with some kind of systemic inflammation in the body. But we need to know so we can, you know, have them do a mandibular device or on a CPAP machine to just ease the process and then look for more root causes um, and such. So um, that's, you know, in general, that's kind of it. I don't know if that answered your question. but Yeah, it's, it's interesting how your approach is. You're really about getting to the root cause. It's not about hacking your sleep, right? You know, it's, you know, a lot of people you know, start to implement hacks. Oh, okay. I'm on the screen too much, which I think it does play a role in, sure. in affecting people's sleep, but that could be just one symptom, you know, and then it's just aggravating the underlying cause. And, you know, people are purchasing these, these blue light blocking glasses um, to help them, you know, block the blue lights from the screens and from the light bulbs. And it's, it can be effective in people if they are sensitive to that. You know, other people have like purchased these, those machines that actually have a, a cooling uh, blanket that you can throw on your bed that actually provides some cooling temperature. And it's, the whole theory is it lowers your core temperature during the course of the night, allowing you to sleep better. So these are all hacks that can be useful. And the problem is, is that if there's an underlying issue with inflammation, digestion, you know, or spikes in cortisol or sugar issues, those aren't getting addressed. And, and sleep apnea. So those aren't getting addressed. And it's unfortunate because people are looking for solutions on the internet or through other means to see if this is going to be something that's useful when an underlying health issue is, is really the problem that's causing the sleep disturbances. So I like that approach that you are taking. Um, it's definitely getting to the root cause. Yeah. And, and all of those things can be really helpful as well. I mean, I, I do work a lot with people with what I call sleep foundations. I don't like sleep hygiene so much, the, the word itself, but um, um, they're all important. And I like the, um, one of my functional medicine doctors used this analogy of like sitting on five tacks. If you take one tack out, sure, it's helpful, but the other four are there. It's still really painful, right? You can't tell that anything improved. And but they're all important. So uh, when I talk to my patients, I say, hey, I'm not sure how much caffeine is really affecting your alcohol or, you know, the light from the screens in the evening. But this is what I see. And these are all the things where we can make changes. So let's do them all. And then when you sleep better, then we can try the alcohol. Let's see if you drink uh, hard liquor, what happens if it's just one little shot at six and if you have two, what happens? Because people come to me and they say, well, I've quit caffeine. It didn't make a difference. And I've quit alcohol. It didn't make any difference. And I'm like, but we, if there are many things, many taxes, I said before, like you're not going to, it's obviously you have a big problem. It's been going on for a long time. It's probably not one thing because you wouldn't be in my office if it's just one thing. Right. And I often find this out after people sleep better and they swear it wasn't the caffeine they realized the caffeine was a factor. It was a one of the factors and such. So, you know, we get this advice about caffeine, don't consume any caffeine eight hours before go to sleep or from noon on for two on. I'm like, no, 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 no. 10 a.m. at the latest. And if you're really serious about really figuring out what's happening, no caffeine for a while, unless it's some green tea and such. But I, depending on the type of insomnia, sometimes I can tell, truly if that's a problem or not and I allow some people to have a cup of coffee as long as it's like 
seriously in the morning at the mm-hmm. latest 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. Um, because people have genetic variants. And I write a little bit about this in my book um, that will affect the way they clear caffeine. And then I've noticed this in myself too. I mean, I used to drink a full cup of coffee at 10 p.m. to try to study for exams and it never affected me. I was like, darn it, why can't I stay awake and such? But now if I have a half a cup of caffeine in the morning, I feel so wired. Um, probably because I don't drink it at all. So when I do, my body is just, I literally still feel it at 10 p.m. Yeah. and such. So partially it has to do with the liver. We live in a, you know, there are just um, all kinds of things coming at yeah. us from food to what we breathe to what we put on our skins and such. So the liver has a little bit of a harder time processing all of this and caffeine is one of them and such. So we, we just got to have to watch that and understand that's not the only factor, but even if it's not obvious, it might still be a factor. And I understand right. also people love their coffee. So sometimes it's just, they're already suffering so much. So I've tried to prioritize, okay, perhaps caffeine is not so important. Just have your little cup in the morning and let's work on other things. Mm-hmm. And then if I still think like it's a problem, then we can look at that more so. Hey, Dr. Diva here. Thank you to all my listeners who supported my book and helped to make it a huge success. You all have helped us hit number one in Barnes & Noble, number one in oncology, cancer, healing, and medical eBooks, and number 21 in all of a Kindle store. You've also helped us hit number three on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. If you haven't received your copy, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or BooksAmillion.com. Visit from doctor2patient.com to become part of our growing community of health and wellness aficionados and to learn more. If you like our book and podcast, please go to amazon.com to write a five-star review and go to Apple Podcasts to also write a five-star review on this podcast or any of our episodes that you've enjoyed. We need reviews to attract and secure top-notch guests for this show. Thank you so much for your support. It's interesting about caffeine because I've had a little journey with caffeine myself. And if you drink it on a regular basis, it's not going to have the same effect as if you drink it intermittently. And it's because the adenosine receptors are blocked when you consume caffeine on a regular basis. And so you're just not going to have that effects as a person who may drink it periodically. And additionally, if you are a slow metabolizer of caffeine, mm-hmm. then you also have an issue in which that your body doesn't metabolize it well and the byproducts are linger around longer. And it could be the reason why you're staying up in the middle of the night if you drink a cup of coffee at around noon or one or two o'clock in the afternoon. And so I'm a slow metabolizer as well. So taking that into consideration, I have to have my first cup of coffee a day early in the morning. Later I have it, or if I drink something caffeinated in the afternoon, forget it. I, I know my sleep is going to be disrupted. That's, so it's really, yeah, it's really interesting, but it, it goes to show you, you really have to dig deep and look into these issues when you're talking about trying to improve your sleep. It's not necessarily the coolest hack that's out there to conquer and, and utilize for yourself to see if it'll help your sleep. You know, you should definitely go to a person like yourself who is a specialist or a person who can get to the root cause of the problem and find the underlying cause of the sleep issues. So that's really important. And that being said, I usually always have guests talk about 
you know, some of their patients in their studies or uh, some type of case study that involves uh, a success with the patient. But I'd love for you to take the time that we have left to really talk about my sleep issues because I've been suffering from sleep issues for as long as I've known. And interestingly enough, when I was in residency, when I got older outside of residency, it was more of trying to fall. I couldn't fall asleep and I would take prescription medicine, specifically Ambien, because that was one thing that would just knock you out. And it wasn't quality of sleep as we talked about the problems with Ambien before, but it would knock me out and I would, and I would not have the anxiety of worrying about sleep to consider when I'm taking that medicine. But over the last few months, it's interesting, it's, it's shifted. You know, I've been sleeping quite well up until a few months ago. And it seems like my sleep has actually been changed where I wake up in the middle of the night, you know, and it was consistently around three o'clock in the morning. And, and then I have a flood of thoughts that come into my mind and as well as a little bit of anxiety about getting enough sleep to prepare for the next day. And so that's been going on for, for the last few months. And now it's, it, it, I wake up in the middle of the night between three and five in the morning. And it's, the later it is, the harder it is to get back to sleep. The earlier it is, I, I may be able to be successful and fall asleep. Now, interesting, I've learned something from our conversation. I think uh, a lot might be because I don't have enough blood glucose in my system when I go to bed. I typically don't. Uh, I stop eating around between 6 and 6.30 p.m. and I don't have my next meal until about 8 in the morning. And so it's about a 12, about, about 14 hour fast or so. And I'm wondering if I eat something, you know, like some kind of collagen powder, protein powder, like you suggested, you know, it's not enough to impair my sleep, but it's enough to allow me to have the appropriate nutrients so that when I do, you know, have these long bouts of no food intake, that will kick in and provide me an opportunity to stabilize my blood sugar. So that's the first thing I'm going to try. Any other advice that you might have for me? Yeah, well, the second thing is to actually check it to those uh, pharmacy blood sugar monitors and test yourself within half an hour of waking up and, and just see what it is. Actually see if yeah. that's the problem. I've done um, this. I had a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor, and okay. um, it was low in the morning, um, okay. you know, but... The problem is, is that my morning might actually be different because I'm waking up at five o'clock in the morning and I'm actually getting out of bed at 6.30, right? So by the time 6.30 rolls out, my levels, you know, could be uh, a lot more normal because I've had a cortisol spike. So um, it may I would do it from the moment you wake, you actually wake up, wake up not get out, get out of bed because you're right. up. So obviously something has happened in your body and such. So, um, definitely do that. And then also I just wanted to say, cause you mentioned the collagen drink. One of my favorite collagen drinks is adding the golden milk, you know, with the turmeric and ginger and, and all of that. And having some kind of, I don't know, coconut milk, hemp milk, and add a little bit of ghee. Um, it's such a wonderful drink in the evening and it's anti-inflammatory and, and such. So, and it's, it's liquid and you can make it, you know, just half a cup. So it's not a lot of liquid and add mm -hmm. that collagen powder in there and such. So, um, but check it out. And then kind Where of, can you get that? Uh, like any health food store, I think Gaia has a, a product called golden milk powder and it's a mix of turmeric and ginger and just really good spices and so delicious and it stains really badly. So do not drop <laughs> the cup as I've done once <laughs> because it's very yellow and stains. Uh, so um, there is that. Um, so yeah, so that's one 
a thing to check in the morning and see what's happening with that. And if it is a problem, just not only what you do in the evening, but check yourself throughout the day. Like what are your choices of foods and look at how could you replenish those glycogen stores so it doesn't, um, so it doesn't happen as easily because we should be able to maintain that blood sugar very level for 14 hours, you know, or, or not to drop enough to like disturb our sleep and such. So see if that's the cause. Um, so you do fit from just from what I'm hearing so far into that overtaxed type that um, has some kind of a stress response. And the way I look at it, um, because you, as you said, you typically don't go back to sleep or you only do if it's like on the earlier side and you're probably awake for an hour or two hours and then you doze off. Um, so it's that idea of like, once the cortisol gets produced, this is one thing that I found out actually through the period I was writing my book, through my research that I was not aware before. That was like a light bulb that just came on in my head. So there's two things that happen when there is a stress response, be it from an emotional trigger, for sleep apnea, from blood sugar imbalance. The Adrenaline gets kicked in within seconds. It's instant, kind of that feeling when you are about to get in a car accident. You know that feeling of like, it's, it's just so instant. So that may kick in and you feel that kind of stress in the body. But the cortisol takes actually about 10 minutes to be produced. It's not easily available. The adrenaline will clear it out of the body just as fast as it got produced. So within minutes, you might feel again peaceful if the danger is away, whatever that is. But cortisol, it can take like up to two hours, an hour to two hours to clear out of your body after it's been produced. So once, that's why so many people, you know, once they're up and stressed, it's not like they can go back within 10, 15 minutes. It takes a while for that cortisol to get cleared out of the body. So if you woke up at 3 a.m. and then, you know, an hour and a half, two hours past, it's 5 a.m. and then you still have time, you go back to sleep. But if it was like 4.30 or 5, forget it. So then at 7 a.m. you start feeling tired and sleepy again, but it's too late now. So that was so important for me to understand and for my patients to understand why that is happening. So they don't feel like there is innately something wrong with them. It's just that initial response uh, because people get in their head and they think, oh, it's because I'm worrying. Of course, that adds more stress response in the body as you sit there and worry and such. So um, so that's really, really good and to understand what is happening in the body and people usually relax when they understand it a little bit and that applies to falling asleep because when you try to fall asleep if that stress response gets triggered and people say well i was trying so hard to fall asleep and then it's like an hour two hours later and they feel even more stressed and then that's the problem so finding out the root cause and then working with the adrenal glands to support them so they work better and then support uh, cortisol to being produced at the right time. So there are um, herbs that we call adaptogens, um, such as ashwagandha and rhodiola, and the, there are a number of them. And those are typically safe for any kind of like adrenal, I don't like to call it adrenal fatigue, it's more of a HPI axis problem, the hypothalamic and pituitary and adrenal kind of connection, the back and forth response, um, that's where the problem is. So because there are certain things, certain supplements that we need to understand exactly what happens with the cortisol, because if truly your adrenals are not making enough cortisol is one problem. And then if the body is making cortisol, the adrenals is still 
pumping cortisol, but it, but the body is not clearing it out of the body and it stays too long, then that's another problem. So there is one supplement that is commonly um, given out there, like phosphatidylserine. It's not like if you, if, if in the first situation, if you give that, it will backfire and people will, will the body will like literally like freak out in that moment because you, it, it's forcing the adrenal to pump more to clear it out of the body and it's not it's not good. So having that piece of information is really important. But in general, those adaptogenic herbs that I mentioned, they're safe for most people. But even there, you have to understand how to, to take them. Like ashwagandha, it's from the nightshade family. And some people react to that and they're not aware of that uh, if they're sensitive to the nightshade family. So there are these little details and such. Would you take those adaptogens in the evening time if you're trying to regulate the cortisol bump in the middle of the night or does it matter? Oh, it does matter very much so. And for people that have like more of advanced stage kind of adrenal problem, I ask them to take them within half an hour of um, waking up to match that cortisol response and help the body bring that up if it's more of an advanced stage, but also take it throughout the day. If, if it's someone that it's appropriate to take that phosphatidylserine, that's usually taken in the evening. So it helps the body to clear that cortisol out of the body throughout the night and, and the morning and such. Uh, but the adaptogens throughout the day, and definitely if somebody has had this problem for a long time and the results, the saliva test results show um, that the morning is not looking too good, it starts in the morning and you, take, you can take them throughout the day and even in the evening um, and okay. such. Okay. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's, those are some great treatment options for the root cause. So obviously you'd first want to get a, a cortisol levels and, and see where you are in the morning and at nighttime to get an idea of, of if you're appropriately spiking or if you're inappropriately spiking. So okay. um, that would be the first thing to do. And any other things that you would recommend in this particular case from a diagnostic? Sure, person? sure. So um, besides looking at root causes, um, uh, we also have to work with what's happening right now. How can we support the body to like dampen the stress response and just be able to function every day? That's really, really important. So first is identifying, okay, what's, what? when do you want to go to sleep? When do you want to wake up to sort of, give you enough time in bed, but not too much, um, to make up for seven and a half to eight hours or to nine hours. So I also there is this common thing out there that says you you've got to get eight hours, eight hours. And I don't know who came up with the eight hour thing, but from my understanding, what I've been researching, if the sleep is pretty efficient and you don't wake up a lot, we tend to sleep in 90 minute chunks. It could be 90 minutes to two hours, but it seems like it's more common that it's 90 minutes. So if you think about that, like five cycles would be seven and a half hours, six cycles would be nine hours. So I tell people don't get stuck on the eight hours, but rather watch and see your sleep. Like when you do have a good night's sleep, did you happen to wake up naturally about seven and a half, maybe a little more, because sometimes people take a, little, a few minutes to fall asleep. And then by the time they look at the clock... But I consistently see this in my practice. Once I tell people to watch for those hour and a half cycles, they, they see it. They said, I do see it. So then if they wake up half an hour before their alarm clock, they don't get so upset like, oh, I wish I'd slept another half an hour. I, I'm telling them like, hey, you actually, your body's doing a service. It w woke you up before you went into another sleep cycle. Because if you wake up consistently at the same time in the morning, then your body will get more and more efficient. 
So for you, it's kind of identifying because you have, it seems like you have an idea in your mind. I have to wake up at six or whatever it is. And kind of like, what time do you go to bed usually? What time do you typically fall asleep? Uh, around 11. Around 11. So, so really like 6.30 would be good. So Yeah, so, that's typically when, yeah. when I'll get out of bed. Right. And you do get out of bed around six thirty, so so yeah, that's around, yeah. kind of it. So that that's good, right? So you you count your your idea is correct um, and such. So the other thing is when you wake up, what do you do? And a lot of people say, well, um, or the common kind of knowledge is if you if you're not sleeping, you have to get out of bed because then you're going to associate your bed with anxious thoughts and ideas. And I think there is a gray area in there. I would say stay in bed as long as you can do something that takes your mind away and you're relaxed and have that be an enjoyable time. So um, what works for everyone is different, but typically waking up early in the morning, a guided meditation of some kind um, is what typically helps people to take their mind away and help that stress response to calm down faster and hopefully go back to to sleep and that's a range depending on how mind your mind works some people do really well listening to just music some people do well with the guided meditation but that for some people is stressful because it's like pressure to perform or like oh i didn't take a full breath oh i feel more stressed and so those people sometimes do better with listening to a podcast but some people don't do good with listening to a podcast because it like they're it's wide awake then. Yeah. So you have to just find out where you're at and then have it prepared on your phone. So it's just a click away. And then allow yourself to just feel the pleasure of just laying in bed. It's warm. It's safe, hopefully. And just just make that a time that's kind of stolen in a sense. Even though I know you'd like to just sleep, you're not. So then how can you use that time? If it's a lot of anxiety, then I tell people just get out of bed. But I like the idea of being in bed and it's dark and you're listening to something because then we're telling your body it's not time to get up. It's not time to get up. Um, and the whole sleep restriction thing doesn't work for many of my patients. And probably if you work, they wouldn't come to me, obviously. So I know it does work well for some people, but these people usually is just too stressful. It's mm -hmm. it's added stress to say, no, get up, get out of bed or go to sleep too late, really late and only stay in bed. And the last thing that I wanted to say, um, it's like when people wake up too early after four or five hours, I tell them we need to understand what is happening in your body that your body feels the need to wake up after that because um, it, it could be the blood sugar it could be something else but idea is that your body will do anything to put together for five hours because that's the absolute minimum necessary to still be alive and perform functions it's not very good quality obviously but if there is a stress response that's being activated the body says that's all i need everything else is like the cherry at the top of the cake we'll survive it's not absolutely need it get up so we can deal with it whatever that is um so um so yeah so that's typically what i see with that so it's just mm -hmm. then we, when you wake up it's like how do, how do we calm it down what do we listen to what do we do um to not give in into more like exacerbate that stress response mm -hmm. until 6 30 when you get out of bed yeah those are all great suggestions some of the things that i've learned to do that has helped me is if i wake up I don't know, like 3 a.m. and I'm having trouble. So I have binaural beats, so I'll listen to a track and it'll definitely calm my mind down. But the unfortunate thing is, is that it's, it's a nice Bose headset, so it's cumbersome. So I'll find myself waking back up because it's so cumbersome that 
the apparatus over my head just will wake me up because I, I toss and turn in the middle of the night. But I know it helps me because I do definitely feel more relaxed and listening to those tunes can enable me to get distracted and get back to sleep. The other thing that I do while I'm listening to these tunes is to really, really be uh, more in tune with my breath. So I'll try and do one of those breathing exercises like four, seven, eight breath, and that'll help calm me down. Or I'll do some left nostril breathing because that actually is supposed to be really cooling and that's supposed to also help calm the system, calm the nervous system down. So those are some techniques that I, I, I've employed and you know, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, but it's about a consistency. So I know for myself, it's, it's really putting all these things together, you know, trying to figure out what really is the problem. And I think I'm not in my mind, the problem may be that my blood sugar is probably too low, so I have to fix that. But this, these other strategies do help in the meantime until I figure out what the root cause is. Definitely. And the binaural beats are great. I actually have a sleep-inducing recording on uh, Insight Timer, which is a free app um, that Mm. Um, you can, it's kind of like headspace, but it's different. It has like 55,000 meditations that are all free and some of them are in other languages and such. So, which is nice if you listen to this and, and you speak another language and you prefer to listen to your nat native language, but that recording has binaural beats in the background and also it has Delta waves. And so I tell people like, like you said, if it's the, the binaural beats are beneficial and you have to have the both headsets, but if that's cumbersome, I say just use a regular, you know, earbuds and put it in just one ear on the side where your phone is, and then it will just fall off, fall out eventually. So then it doesn't wake you up. Um, so that's more important than having the benefit from the binaural beats and right. such. So, so if you search for my name there, Damiana Korka, it's on the Inside Timer mm -hmm. app. And that's a nice guided meditation that um, can help fall asleep or put you back to sleep and such. Um, yeah, so those are all great things. And then I didn't talk much about this, but like the evening routine, that's very important. Even though you wake up early in the morning, it's because it's a stress response. And again, it could be the blood sugar, but it's more than that likely. Um, then um, I, you know, the hour before sleep, that's very important. But also just starting at 7 p.m., I, I like to look at the 24 hours, 12, it's like in, like calming down and 12 um, it's down. activity yeah. and yang and such. So typically we think of like that in quality as eight hours while we're in bed, but we forget that we need that transition and we don't have that on and off switch. And also right. an hour sometimes is not enough, especially depending on of your genetic variants. Some people take much longer to wind down and it will affect the anxious type that has trouble falling asleep but also the waking up early in the morning also the middle of the night and such and and also i don't know do you have trouble with like like tasks and thoughts and stuff that you need to do during the day do those come in in the morning for you oh yeah those are yeah. always middle of the night those are always going on in my mind about yeah. what i need to do and so yeah. i've learned one of the strategies that helps me if i can remember i'm remembering now is to whiteboard it before i go to bed definitely and, you know it's like a brain dump so you just dump everything onto a whiteboard yeah. or on a piece of paper that way it's out of your head and, yeah. and it's somewhere and it's and that can alleviate some of the issues of the it's thoughts. It's so I mean, important. Yeah. Definitely. I would probably do it for a while every morning and I every evening. I do it starting at 5 p.m. Because if I start at 5 p.m. and I put it in my phone or I carry a piece of paper with me, then it's just like eventually it all trickles out. Because sometimes within 15 minutes before bed, it can get more active. So I start, <laughs> I start early yeah. and then every time there is a thought that comes, I'm like, it's on that piece of paper. 
I don't, I, I don't want to deal with it right now. There is nothing I can do in the middle of the night and just out and out and out and out. And then you can just tell your mind it's okay. Cause it's, again, it's trying to remind you as like, don't forget, don't forget. And just the right. same thought of paying electricity it runs to your head five times. And I'm like, right. it's just electricity. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> but, but it, it does. And it's still kind of stressful to the body. Right. So I have a handout on my website at um, damianakorka.com slash insomnia resolved that like goes over the evening routine and all of that and what to do and such. And also um, since sleep apnea, it's so much in my, like, I realize so many people, they are not aware of what the symptoms could be besides the obvious snoring. And some people have snoring, they don't even have sleep apnea. So it's not necessarily correlated. Um, there, there are a bunch of symptoms and things to watch out for to just bring a little bit of awareness. Um, so if any of that shows up for people to just go to their medical doctor and ask for a sleep study or see if it's appropriate to get a sleep study. And what other, what other symptoms that people can be in tune to if they do have sleep apnea, they should be worried about besides the snoring? Yeah. So if they, are, you know, the people that uh, wake up with the bed, they have a bed partner, you know, they've been told that they gasp for air or like they breathe and then they stop and then they gasp a little bit and, and such. Um, also if, they wake up out of sleep around 2, 3 a.m., kind of almost like startled out of sleep and sometimes even palpitations. Um, then that's, that could be a problem. I see that a lot. It's like the more the interrupted sleeping happens throughout the night and then the later in the evening, the morning, people just, the nervous system can't take it anymore. It's too stressful uh, from not sleeping. Also, some people wake up in the morning with headaches. Um, some people sleep all night, lots and lots of hours even 12 hours sometimes too much, but sometimes just seven, eight, nine hours. And they say they feel exhausted and they don't know why. Just like even for some people opening up their mouth and seeing they have a large tongue and that's not necessarily the prob problem. It could be other things, but like not even seeing the back of their throat, the opening. That could be an issue. And um, what else? I can't remember why now, but there are all kinds of little oh, so signs yeah, that, that yeah. could be correlated. Even for men, it could even be a um, problem with um, sexual. Um, there could be a lot of different things, actually, mm -hmm. so um, that we don't think about it. So it's, it's on that list, um, but those, those are some of the most um, obvious that I can think of right now. Well, great. That was really helpful. And it's very comprehensive in terms of the insight that you provided to address sleep disorders. So thank you so much for being on the show. And again, if you don't mind giving us information as to how to find you on the internet. Yeah, I'm at damianakorka.com and also on Facebook and Instagram at, at uh, Dr. Damiana Korka. And then the beginning of 2021, my book should be on Amazon and I'm working on having it on Audible because if you're sleep deprived and, and it's just hard to read just another book, but listening to it might be easier. So I'm going to make that happen. Um, and I do acupuncture and functional medicine in Boulder, Colorado, but also do some consulting over telemedicine. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you.